Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this fantastic opportunity just to gather around your word this morning. And we just pray that it would indeed be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. That God, you would speak to us through your word and help us to be doers of it as well as hearers. And we just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, today I want to talk to you about one of the biggest hurdles you're ever going to face in your life. And I think uh, for Christians, the number one would be unforgiveness and the things that we um, carry into our Christian walk. But then the second biggest one, I reckon, would be to overcome selfishness and to develop a Christ-like heart of generosity. And so I bet that as soon as I mention generosity, most people will think he's going to talk about money. Uh, is that right? Well, actually, I, need to, I probably need to talk about it a couple of times a year. Um, uh, let me just say that generosity is reflected in how we handle our money, but it's so much more than that. It's, generosity is a Christ-like character trait of the heart, and as such, it's going to pervade every area of our lives, not just our finances. Yes, it'll reflect on how you handle your, your finances, but it also will be reflected on how you use your time, how you use your talents, your resources, how you give praise, how you give encouragement, uh, what you do in your relationships and your attitude to life and how you relate to people and how you relate to, to God. In the many missions trips that I've had to India, one thing that really, really standard, stood out for me is that you could go into a village and you might have 600 people in an open air and you'd give the altar call and at least 400, 500 of that 600 would put their hands up to accept Jesus Christ. The reality would be, though, that they were just adding Jesus to one of their two million other demonic gods. And when we think about that, we think, oh, man, that's just so sad. But the reality is often we are no different. Many people just add Jesus to their lifestyle, whereas Jesus wants to radically transform us from the inside out so that we would become more like him and act like him. Uh, idols are things we love and want more than God. Things we put our hopes in, things that we seek for our ultimate happiness, our significance or meaning or sense of worth. Uh, just about anything can become an idol in your life. Often idols are actually good things that we turn into ultimate things. And they can destroy us and enslave us because they take the place in our affections that was created by God for himself. And in New Zealand, in the Western world, materialism is an idol that we often don't even recognize we are worshiping. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says this. It says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and both boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. The three curses... The three traps of the spirit of the world 
the three temptations that we can so easily fall into, the three idols that we set ourselves up to worship are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. In other words, valuing pleasure, valuing possessions, and valuing prestige over God. The three antidotes, the three character traits that God wants to build into our lives to combat these counterfeits are integrity, generosity, and humility. And we don't speak as often about those as perhaps what we should. But if you want the blessing of God on your life, if you want the power of God in your life and the anointing of God flowing through your life, then you need to build your life on and grow in these three areas. Integrity, generosity, and humility. Now, this morning, I haven't got time to speak on all three of these. So we're going to just focus on generosity. And it's a, it's a great time to be able to do that because we've taken up our building offering. This, I'm not preaching for an offering or anything like that. We're, we're preaching to make character change in our lives, okay? Generosity is a huge part of the character of God. God is love, and generosity is love in action. Uh, as a youngster, I was um, brought up on classical music and light opera and show tunes. My uh, dad was really keen on all these things, and my aunt was part of the Borovansky Ballet Company in Australia. And one of the first shows that I saw was in Aussie, and it was My Fair Lady. And there's a particular scene in My Fair Lady where Eliza Doolittle is just getting so frustrated with the guys in her, in her life. And she says, words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through, first from him, now from you. Is that all you blighters can do? And then she breaks into song. And she said, and I'm not going to sing it. I should get it. <laughs> yeah, she says, don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love... Show me. Tell me no dreams filled with desire. If you're on fire, show me. Here we are together in the middle of the night. Don't talk of spring, just hold me tight. Anyone who's ever been in love will tell you that. This is no time for a chat. Haven't your lips longed for my touch? Don't say how much. Show me. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make me no undying vow. Show me now. And so you get the feeling that this frustrated woman is just looking for this guy to actually put words into practice. And that is what generosity is. Generosity is love in action. It's putting, it's putting things to our, to our love. In the Bible, the word believe and believes and believed, okay, is mentioned 280 times. I looked up the word pray or prayer, or praise, or prayed. And that grouping is mentioned 511 times. The word love, which you'd expect to be more than all those, love, loves, loved, all those derivatives, they're mentioned 698 times. But the word give is mentioned more than 2,000 times. Why? Because God is a giver. And giving 
generosity is really part of his character. God so loved the world that he gave. And he has given us everything, and he wants us to become like him. And as Christians, we're transformed from death to life. We move from darkness to light. And as we are blessed to be a blessing, we should be moving from being ministry and resource consumers to being ministry and resource providers. Anyone agree with that? Yeah. Um, Who have been sent out into the world to serve and to demonstrate the love of God through radical lifestyles of generosity, doing everything as under the Lord. We're on a journey of transformation. And the more that we become like Jesus, the more generous and loving we become. Our our old nature is, is really, really selfish. We read scriptures like Jesus saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we think, yes, you should give so I can receive. <laughs> That's true. Before we knew Jesus, it's all about us. It's me, myself, and I. But when Jesus comes into our life, we receive his spirit. And that gives us the power and the authority and the ability to change and become more like him. And Jesus is more about others than he is about himself. So we should recognize the need for change in our lives when we compare ourselves to the Word of God and the character of Jesus Christ. And when we don't measure up, we really need to cry out to God and ask him for help in this area that we're struggling with. See, generosity is a condition of the heart. It's love and action. And we all need to be growing and loving Otherwise, we make idols out of things and they capture our heart. And this is an area that personally I have totally needed to grow in. But I can say I'm doing better today than what I was 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Uh, Back in the 80s, I was asked to write some lectures on kingdom finances for the Hamilton AOG School of the Bible. Now... Penny and I have always given a tenth of our income to our local church because we believe that's the base level of giving that God asks us to give. And we believe that's demonstrated in the Old Testament and the New Testament and historical writings. In fact, God says to the people in Malachi, he says, hey, you are robbing me because you're not bringing your tithes and your offerings into the storehouse, into the local church situation. Uh, on top of our tithes, Penny and I would give offerings, but I really gave those reluctantly. I was really grumpy on that one. And uh, I was in charge of missions for Hamilton AOG, and I would hate giving missions offerings. I mean, how bad is that? Um, Now, I use the example of money here, but remember that generosity is love and action, and it's about a lifestyle, not just about money. And I was hard-hearted in lots of areas, but I certainly wasn't generous. And I was getting a huge income. I was getting more back then uh, in the early 80s than I am today. So I I was on a big wage back then. But 
as I did the research for this School of the Bible presentation, as I studied God's word, God's word got into me. And not only did God's word uh, reveal the basic principles of generosity and giving to me, but God began to change my heart so that I wanted to be more Christ-like. I was looking then for opportunities to be generous. And we all need more of God's love in our hearts. And we need to grow in our demonstration of that love. So what I wanted to do this morning is just quickly outline some of the things that I learned back then in the 80s when I studied God's word in preparation for doing uh, that series of God's finances. And the first thing I learned was that God wants to bless us, but he expects us to be channels of that blessing. Okay, in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, it talks about God giving seed to the sower. In Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25, it says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but it comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Excuse me. You see, the way things work in the kingdom of God is different to the way things work in the, in the world. And God says he gives seed to the sower. And when you step out in this particular area, the more you sow, the more God gives you back. Okay, so I've got a quick clip from Bill Hybels, and uh, you'll enjoy this one. How you grapple with the resupply promise of God is going to, to a large extent, determine your level of generosity in the future. Because if you really, really believe in God's promise of resupply, you'd become far more generous than you are now. Now, we struggle with this, especially those of us who are brand new believers. And I remember back in the months right after I became a Christian in my late teenage years. Uh, I had a defining moment with this whole subject matter of generosity and resupply. And uh, it was memorable to this day, 50 years later. Uh, I became a Christian, and I had heard in the teaching growing up in my church that, you know, you put God first and give him the first tenth of all your earnings and be generous and all this stuff. I was a selfish teenager. Uh, I worked hard, and, and when I got paid, I used all of my money. I bought a car and a Harley Davidson, and, you know, I, I didn't want God messing with my hard-earned money. So I hadn't really grappled too much with generosity, and I was invited to Chicago. I lived in Michigan at the time to hear a young leader talk about his work in Central America. So I drive 150 miles over to this meeting in Chicago, and the Central American leader guy is really courageous and creative, and he started telling the stories of how he's leading people to Christ back in the river areas, the jungles, and he's establishing churches with great sacrifice and struggle. And the more I listened to this guy, who wasn't that much older than me, the more I respected him, and I thought, man, he's doing something with his life. So he ends his talk, and the, the leader of the meeting gets up and says, why don't we pass the hat and send this guy back to Central America encouraged with some resources that he can invest down there. So I was like, I, I want to do that. So I reached in my wallet. All I had was a $20 bill. 
I quick did the calculation. I'd already filled up my car with gas. So I could drive 150 miles back home that night, you know, with the gas I had in the tank. But then there was a $1.05 toll that had to be paid on the Indiana toll road. I had to go through it to get home. So I got a 20. No way to pay the buck five. I want to give this to the kind of this missionary guy. And it's the first time I had a prompting from God about generosity. And I could hear the whisper of God saying, Bill, I'll, I'll cover you. I've got your back. You take a step of faith. You give this 20. I'll take care of that toll booth thing. So I was like, all right. And I'm like shaking when I put that 20 in, you know. So I get in my car and I'm starting to drive back. And I, I'm like kicking myself saying, you know, that was stupid. I should have you know, ask someone for change. I should have done it a different way. And then I thought, no, God told me he had my back that he was going to cover this. The more I get closer to the toll booth, I'm like, what do they do if you can't pay? Do they arrest you? Do they throw you in jail? I mean, I didn't know. I was going to call my dad or, you know. So I pull up and I'm pretty nervous at this point. I roll my window down and I say, I got no money. I'm telling you that right. I got no money. Check my wallet, check my car, check my trunk. I'm so sorry. I'm so terribly sorry. And she goes, Young man, it's your lucky day. I said, how's that? She said, the guy who just came through before you paid for his toll, and then out of the blue, he said, and I'm going to pay for whoever comes next. <laughs> she said, I've worked at this toll booth for many, many years. She said, I've worked at this toll booth for many, many years. This has never happened to me before. This is your lucky day. And I said, well, thank you. And I pulled off to the side of the road. This is very uncharacteristic for me. Pulled off to the side of the road, put my head down on the steering wheel, and bawled like a baby. I was like, God, this is unbelievable. You spoke to me. You prompted me. You said you'd cover my back. You said you'd work this out. And this was the first supernatural engagement I had ever had with regard to generosity. And it rocked me, gang. <laughs> Thought you'd like that. <laughs> you know, when God tells you to do something, he's always faithful. He's always faithful to his word. So I learned that God wants to bless us, but he expects us to be channels of that blessing. I also saw that God blesses generous people. When God wanted to do ab something absolutely outrageous and for the first time pour out his Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, because up to this point, uh, the Holy Spirit had only been given to the Jews. So when he wants to pour out his Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, who does he choose of all the Gentiles to receive this. Well, in Acts chapter 10, you'll find that he chooses a man, a Roman centurion called Cornelius. He chooses Cornelius to be the first recipient of his Holy Spirit. He sends visions and dreams and angels to get Peter to go to Cornelius' house and when Peter preached, the Holy Spirit fell. And if you're like me, you ask the question, well, why 
did he choose Cornelius? What was it about Cornelius that set him aside and set him above all the others that God wanted to bless? And Peter said to him, Acts 10 verse 31, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. You see, Cornelius was a godly man who demonstrated his love for God by giving to the poor. And God knew that he could trust him with spiritual gifts because of his prayers and because of his giving. And Jesus said this in Luke 16, verse 10. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you are not being trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. So basically what he's saying is, hey, if I can't trust you with money, if I can't trust you to handle worldly wealth well, how can I trust you with the things that have really, really, really got eternal consequences? And he goes on and he says, no one, oh, if, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. This is Jesus talking. So he lays it out really, really plainly. And I saw that how I handled my resources reflected my trustworthiness to receive spiritual gifts and anointings. And I would say, people, that if I had not learned that lesson in my study for those School of the Bible lectures, if I had not learned that back then, I would not be standing before you now. It's as simple as that. Because when God called me to the ministry... As a 35-year-old, I had to walk away from a lot of things, uh, and I didn't hesitate. Yes, when I started a ministry, I had a mortgage-free house and car, which was pretty good for a 35-year-old back then. But I walked away from a superannuation investment, which would have enabled me to retire at age 50 with about $4 million in the bank. God knew that I would accept his call without hesitation, because he had dealt with the love of money in my heart. So I'm speaking from having been selfish and hard-hearted in this whole area to one of having victory and freedom in it. And God has always had my back and always provided for me ever since. In fact, we said to God when we accepted the call to ministry, we said, God, we're trusting you to look after us, but not only to look after us, but to look after our kids as well. And you know, he has. He has. But also, I found out, and one of the first things that really set me free uh, was the knowledge that God owns everything. I mean, picture me in the car with two young boys 
and we're going through the McDonald's drive through in Hamilton, and I get them a packet of fries each. And those fries smell so good. So I lean back to take one of the chips for myself, and one little boy says, Dad, you can't have any of these. These are my fries. I immediately had three thoughts. Number one, my boy had forgotten that I am the source of all fries. (laughs) He would have no fries if it wasn't for me. I drove him there, I paid for the fries, I gave them to him. He would have no fries if it weren't for me. Secondly, my boy doesn't realize that I could take those fries from him at any time if I wanted to. Or I could go back and buy him a whole bunch more if I wanted to. And thirdly, I didn't need his fry. I could have bought a packet or a bunch of packets for myself if I had wanted to. I just wanted my son to learn about sharing. God owns all the fries. He owns everything. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai 2 verse 8, the silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. God owns everything. Whether we acknowledge it or not, everything is his. We might possess, but God owns. We earn, but God enables. And we need to settle the ownership question early in our Christian walk. Otherwise, it will be a stumbling block to spiritual growth. If God owns everything, that means that we are God's managers and he wants us to faithfully look after his property for him. It means he's our supplier. Many of you know, Philippians 4 verse 19, my God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. That promise was given to a church that were poor, but they were very, very generous. And it was because of their giving, It was because of their faithful serving to God that he was able to say to them, hey, my God is going to supply all of your needs. You see, God is love and generosity is love in action. But also God reveals his nature to man through his covenant names. And you will know some of those. El Shaddai, God Almighty. One of his covenant names is Jehovah Jireh, which means God the provider. And if you break that word provider down, pro vide, it means the one who sees before the need is actually even materialized. So you know that God sees our needs even before that need arose. And that name is first given in the situation where Abraham takes his son Isaac up onto the mountain to sacrifice him. And I have this picture that as Abraham is going up one side of the mountain, there's an old ram going up the other side of the mountain. And the ram gets caught in the thicket. And before Abraham sacrifices his his, um, son, God stops him and opens his eyes to this ram that's caught there. And then he goes and 
sacrifice was the ram. The reality is God knew what Abraham needed before he actually, actually needed that. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. As I study God's word, I learn about accountability. Everyone has been given time and talents and resources, and how we use them is more important than how much we have. I learned about godly focus. I learned about sowing and reaping. I learned about the principle of sacrifice. And that's worth, that's worth mentioning because if it doesn't cost much, it doesn't count much. It was Penny's birthday yesterday. So I rummaged through the cupboard and there I found, locked away, a nice box of, of chocolates that Penny had bought. <laughs> so I got him out and said, happy birthday. <laughs> now, how many people think that was a really slack birthday present? Yeah, yeah she bought them. Didn't cost me anything. <laughs> I just, I, actually, I just wanted some chocolates. <laughs> and I knew that she wasn't going to eat them. So I knew that if I gave them to her, she'd give them back to me. I'd open them and I'd have fun. Yeah, great. <laughs> We did actually have a fantastic birthday time. I, I got her a cake and we went out to lunch and we went for a walk on the beach and it was lovely and everyone said, oh. <clears throat> but the reality is if it doesn't cost much, it doesn't count. And there was a time in King David's life when he needed to atone for trusting in his own resources rather than trusting in God. And so he numbered the army and this was something which he never, never, never had done before the reality is the strength of Israel was not dependent on the number of soldiers they had. There was a, the only thing that determined whether they would win or whether they would lose was, was God for them or was God against them? If God was for them, they won. It didn't matter whether they had 100 or 100,000 soldiers. And as a result of this sin, David had to atone for it. And so he decides to build a sacrifice, and he needs some land to do that. And the guy whose land he wants to build the sacrifice on comes to him and says, hey, you can have it. You're the king. I'll give you this. I will, I'll, I will give you this. And basically, David replied, if it doesn't cost me, it doesn't count. And he refused to take that land for free, and he paid the man for that so that he can make the sacrifice. You'll find that in 2 Samuel 24, verse 20. God doesn't ask for equal sacrifice. The only time God, Jesus comments on an individual's giving is in Mark 12, verse 41 to 44, where he talks about a widow giving a couple of copper pennies into the treasury, as opposed to some rich people throwing in some gold. And basically what he said to the disciple is, hey, in proportion to what she had, that woman, that widow, gave more through giving her two insignificant copper pennies into the treasury than what those rich men did. Because God looks at proportions. So if I was earning a... $1,000 a week, and I gave 100 to missions, that's a great offering. 
But if I was only getting $300 a week and I gave 100 to missions, that's a sacrifice. And God doesn't look just at the amount you give. He looks at it in proportion to your ability to give and whether you give in faith. So how do we grow in generosity? Let's get the musicians up, please, just as I go through these last final points. Well, for me, critical part in growing in generosity was actually in studying the Word of God. Because once I studied the Word of God, God's Word is like a plumb line. I could see that I was not like what was being described in the Word of God. And it was the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, that really broke me and got in on the inside of my life and began to set me free. And that opened me up to crying out to God and asking Him to change my heart. And it worked. It worked incredibly. Um, Meditating on God's love towards us. And Jesus' sacrifice for us caused us not only to appreciate God, but want to love him back. The Apostle Paul, when he's talking to the Ephesians, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. When you realize how much God has done for us, when you realize how much Jesus has done for us, it does something. When you meditate on that, generosity is driven by grace, not by guilt. A generous heart only starts as we contemplate and comprehend how Jesus could trade heaven and its glorious perfection for this earth and human existence and the pain of a crucifixion. And only as I appreciate God's love and grace to me will my heart be changed from selfishness into a a generous heart. One of the things that I had to do was I had to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of all of my life, including my finances. I had to hand over to him what was rightfully his. In other words, everything. And I had to seek to love and serve him with everything I had. And I had to ask God for opportunities to be generous and to be obedient to his directing. And that study of the word changed my life. But that changing of my life opened the opportunities up for me to walk in the plans and the purposes of God that God had for my life. As I said, if God hadn't broken the power of selfishness, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect in this area at all, but I'm saying, hey, I've grown from what I used to be like. If you think I'm selfish now, you should have seen me back then. Man, I was at work. But the reality is, God was able to do something in my life. And as a result of that, 
He was able to trust me with things that otherwise I would not be able to have been trusted with. God would never entrust me with you guys if he hadn't first dealt with the selfishness of my heart. Rick Warren, who's a, a pastor that I, I really enjoy from Saddleback Church in the United States, says this. He says, Every time I give, it breaks the grip of materialism on my heart. He says, There is no antidote to materialism other than giving.